This episode of the Noble Warrior Podcast is brought to you by C.K. Lynn Mindset Coaching for Entrepreneurs. Whatever mental blocks in your life you want to overcome as an entrepreneur, fears of failure, inability to take the actions you know there is to take, fear of success, three steps forward and four steps back, or even that thought of not feeling deserving after achieving all the success. Coaching is one of the most valuable tools you can have. It's an investment in yourself, and it can yield some of the highest returns. C.K. Lin has the skills that will empower you to achieve the most accelerated results you've dreamed of. To help you get started, C.K. is offering podcast listeners a free strategy session with him, a $1,000 value. Visit TalkWithCK.com and schedule your free session today. Uh, I'm really excited to share uh, David with us today, and let me tell you why. Because to me, you're a polymath, right? Not only you're a virtuoso musician, you're a screenwriter, and you do many, many other things. Why don't we set an intention? So my intention for uh, our conversation today is to well, get to know you even more, to explore further what we've been discussing. Mm-hmm. But secondarily, also to share you know, your wisdom, your tactical um, disciplines type things. So should people be inspired by your narrative and they can take on or emulate mm-hmm. part of what you do, right? That's my intention. What would your intention be? Well, uh, as a general intention, mm-hmm. um, I like exploring the uh, inquiry mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Uh, less... Uh, more as a, a mutual form of discovery. I, I find myself uh, presently in my life in a, a state of curiosity mm. uh, where uh, I think we're all involved in a joint uh, conversation, dialogue. Mm. So to just land my uh, understanding as well as my curiosity and mm. discover together. Mm. Just more wisdom, more truths possibly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and really that you're touching upon the intention of this podcast because oftentimes when I hear podcasts I hear people promoting their point of view as the truth mm-hmm. versus an inquiry because ultimately we all have pieces of puzzle and then inquiring together is the intention yeah I, I don't necessarily believe that one truth is the truth I think mm-hmm. everything has an element of truth mm-hmm. and uh, so the more beliefs we can incorporate and welcome the more flexible we can become in allowing these beliefs uh, to be considered at least Mm -hmm. even if they're not necessarily embraced just Mm -hmm. the act of considering the potential validity of any idea allows a more broad perspective Mm -hmm. and possibly uh, also helps uh, achieve better states of patience compassion Mm -hmm. forgiveness understanding both for our own self as well as others Mm. Absolutely. Uh, so in that sense, there is less of an idea. At least I, I, I reside less in a place of uh, holding on to any truth mm-hmm. rather than being in uh, the curiosity. Mm. Um, there is... Uh, we often seek answers. Uh, there's a little story that I read a, a while back that was really sweet about... Um, this uh, uh, being uh, that is sitting on a bench with a little box and this other being comes and sits next to it and says, you know, what's in your box? 
and because it's my box of questions and this uh, other being they're kind of characters in this story they're not people they're meant to be metaphors no? uh, says, well why would you want a box of questions it's so much better to have answers right? and uh, through this conversation that takes place um, the uh, uh, character the main character that has the box says well you know what's beautiful is my questions always stay with me they keep me going places and discovering things, whereas mm. when you have an answer, that's it, you're done. The, right. the journey ends. The journey ends, yeah. exactly. And so although we're always seeking answers, these days I prefer to sit and seek questions mm. and keep them as alive as I can because they fuel, fuel my curiosity. And thus they get me to travel places, meet people, mm. uh, discover new music. And I think that the answer can be sometimes useful, uh, but it's conclusive, it closes. There's mm. a closed chapter in an mm. answer. It's a period at the end. Right. Uh, and so it ends. Mm. The, it ends the story. Mm. Uh, and I like the story continuing to unfold in a natural way. So, um, and I think part of it, and I get particularly excited to talk to polymath, mm. because um, there is somehow a through line um, at least one that I can detect, that is that exactly the point you were making, that curiosity, you know, and then you start to pull the thread mm-hmm. and the, the, the exploration versus uh, finding answer as an in order to something. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then that's a period point and it stops. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious uh, and... Uh, I do want the answers. The mm-hmm. difference between where I am today versus where I was 20 years ago is that back then I was uh, content finding the answers, whereas today I'm more content finding the question that keeps mm-hmm. me seeking. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm less attached to the, the destination, if you will, to mm-hmm. use that old metaphor. It's the journey, not the destination. To me, it's the question, not necessarily the answer. But the question is really what drives the whole thing. So whether it be a curiosity about, uh, say, painting, or history, or politics, or music, or mathematics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all uh, stems from, I think, a interest in discovering patterns. Um, and my, the reason why my interests are diverse is fundamentally because I try to find correlations and uh, parallels between different art forms at first and then eventually between art forms and certain scientific uh, fields that I also find interesting, worth studying. Um, And I start to recognize that there is a lot of similarities in all these different fields. So the knowledge from one can often apply, at least the methodology from one can often apply to another paradigm with minor adjustments. Mm -hmm. One of the... um the saying is the quality of your life depends on the quality of the questions that you ask. So what kind of questions do you ponder that you think about? They've changed throughout uh, years. Um, I've spent many different uh, chapters of my life uh, focusing on different ideas. Um, everything from uh, the, the big themes, love, death, uh, uh, you know, the meaning of life, you know, mm-hmm. definitely the big existential cornerstones uh, mm-hmm. that I think all humans are at least, if not preoccupied by, at least uh, in some sort of inner awareness of mm-hmm. as life unfolds. Um, relationships, of course. Um, but then uh, broadening it to 
just through a certain path of studying different practices, some Buddhism, some uh, different uh, philosophies, if you will. Um, not all spiritual per se, although all fundamentally exist, you know, spiritual in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, is the question of how does my experience fit into the big picture? Mm. What are the consequences of my thoughts, and what am I the result of other consequences? You know, where do I, where do I, uh, what, uh, what domino am I as the dominoes fall? You know, I, as I push the domino ahead of me, of course, it's going to continue propelling this dynamic. Mm. But I also got pushed by eons worth of uh, conditions and right. situations um, that make me who I am, and even inform how I perceive life. So yeah, as I uh, really reflect on that, so it, it begins with really this question of, you know, this is still a uh, thought I have as a kid. I want some chocolate. And I literally just had a moment of going, well, who's I? Hmm. You know, that first sense of awareness. How old were you? You know, I don't remember. Like six, seven, eight. Oh, maybe wow. Single like digits. That. Okay. Uh, of just taking a moment to even question, well, what's this I thing? You know, before that, I think uh, as a kid, we're all like the sum of the, you know, the hydra of our family. We're in this kind of organism, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a we, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's this moment where the individuation begins. This, I would like this, or no, I don't want that. And we certainly say it loudly to our parents. And uh, uh, But then there was that moment where I just went, well, what that is that? Where is that, does that begin even, this I? And I think that the inquiry continues uh, 50 years later of, well, what is this I? Is there, you know, is there such a thing? And so trying to understand the boundaries and the, the liminal, actually, right, that edge between where I begin and where the we ends and how to play with it. And uh, certainly uh, went through phases of uh, taking this I very seriously like very important, you know, and then realizing through continued practice that this I is really the sum of a lot of other things, mm-hmm. uh, which are the greater we, you know. And so there is a person in there, but there's mostly a sensation of a lot of factors that shape who I am. Mm-hmm. And those factors are environmental, they're social, they're spiritual, they're energetic, there's a host of things many of which I don't even know, I don't, I, I don't have the knowledge mm. uh, to know what they are, but to try to perceive them. So the inquiry today is try to uh, reach farther and farther in trying to perceive the interconnectedness mm-hmm. from the place that I have, which is this, uh, the, this crosshair, mm-hmm. Uh, which is what I think the I is, mm-hmm. which is a crosshair uh, of all these uh, concurrent energies mm-hmm. and factors mm-hmm. that contribute to my perception of life through this angle, as mm-hmm. yours does from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the curiosity is to broaden the perception of how far I can feel that. Mm. So the the visuals that I have as you're speaking is kind of like an iceberg, right? On the surface is things mm-hmm. I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. And then under the surface, the subconscious. Right? In, in my mind, that's yeah, the visualization, that's right? And then, and then you can continue to deepen the awareness, go down, go down, go down to see the impact of various influence of environmental, biological, societal, whatever, mm-hmm. cultural influence on this idea, this perception of the I, mm-hmm. right? This, so tactically speaking, I want to make sure that people can 
if they want to take this on, what are some of the things that they can try on to uncouple these different layers of influence on this concept, this of I? Well, there's different practices out there, um, and I've pursued some of them with various degrees of dedication, and then eventually I crafted my own that I felt was better suited sure. to me. Sure. Um, I've uh, learned a lot. Uh, mostly, I'd said my main teacher is nature, mm-hmm. and observing, looking at nature, and taking it to as a metaphor for. Uh, what I believe is we're just another aspect of the ecosystem, humans are mm-hmm. just another aspect of the ecosystem. And so in trying to understand similarities and parallels, uh, I've tried to better understand how I, I exist within this ecosystem. Um, so a little um, way that I describe it is uh, that uh, if I look at a oak tree, uh, one of my favorite... Uh, uh, beings, if you will, uh, life forms. Um, when we see an oak tree, and if you and I sit uh, in uh, a meadow and we point to an oak tree, uh, what we're really doing is we're linguistically calling it something, we're objectifying, we're creating a line of delineation, uh, a boundary, uh, and pointing to that boundary and saying this is an oak tree. Right. And it's very convenient because then uh, I could tell you, well, let's meet under the oak tree tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it's a convention that mm-hmm. allows us to go, well, we, now we know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and it's uh, practical, but it's very um, reductive. Mm-hmm. Because actually when we're seeing an oak tree, what eventually biologists uh, have come to understand is that we're seeing a process. We're seeing the result of a host of conditions. Mm-hmm. The oak tree is really the evidence of many, many, many factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are the microbiology of the soil, some of it mm-hmm. is the wind, the mm-hmm. rain, uh, even the ha- pseudo-accident of the kernel of the oak that rolled and then the animal stepped on it and put it just under the soil just in mm-hmm. time for it to burgeon. Mm-hmm. No, it's not just a thing. It's actually a process, and mm-hmm. it continues being a process through photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in relation with all the other beings of the mm-hmm. forest. It mm-hmm. feeds off of the uh, nutrients that fall on its soil through, say, an, an animal pooping or dying. Uh, and yet it also feeds those same animals through creating leaves and uh, oak kernels. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're seeing is an, a little micro version of a much greater ecosystem um, mm-hmm. And I've started to perceive myself as that oak tree. So rather than look at my delineated shape and say, well, I'm David, which is true, it's an accurate thing, and it's nice to be able to introduce myself to you as you introduce yourself to me, mm-hmm. uh, I've come to try to perceive how do I fit in this forest? What are all the factors mm-hmm. that contribute to my beingness? that uh, I could become more and more aware of. Mm. Uh, and that's true of my thoughts just as much as my body. It's, mm. uh, I'm a process. I, mm. I'm less of a thing than a becoming. So if I'm hearing you right, doing, looking at different um, aspects, so whether it be uh, things on the atomic level, to the cellular level, to the molecular level, to the organism level, 
as well as the cultural level, your this entity in relation to other beings, as well as what's happening internally inside your head. Like so, you look at various aspects as a way to help uncouple the various layers of influence. On you. Is that accurate? But it's not necessarily an attempt to uncouple. It's in a, more of it comes from a standpoint of wanting to understand them. Mm-hmm. and take them into consideration. So sure. let's say that they, I have a desire to do this or do that. Um, one might even call it an inspiration mm. or a wish or a will or whatever that may be. It's interesting to consider, well, why, have I, why do I even have that desire? Where does it come from? Um, and, uh, and it's not necessarily... Uh, necessary to life uh, we don't need to ask ourselves that question but I find it mm-hmm. interesting to mm-hmm. sit in that question of what is even driving my motivation to be a musician to mm-hmm. be a partner to be a friend to uh, um, and uh, through this inquiry I found that a lot of these things that I used to take credit for that I thought was the sum of my beingness my individuated I is actually the sum of a host of conditions that have informed me Mm. And uh, there's a greater intelligence that's playing itself through me and shows up in the form of choices mm-hmm. or wants and desires mm-hmm. and drives my path, if you will, forward. Mm-hmm. And you know, you asked me what the common denominator was uh, earlier. And I think fundamentally the common denominator that I thrive on mostly is the opposite of what most people seek, which is insatisfaction. Uh, say, say more about that? Well... We live in a culture which is always uh, very much these days uh, um, aspiring to and promising this idea of achieving Mm -hmm. uh, with the end goal of being satisfied with the achievement. Right. If you achieve this, you will be happy, satisfied, whatever. And with this uh, promise that once you are satisfied, everything is great. And not to say that satisfaction isn't uh, pleasurable, it is. Mm -hmm. But it's a little bit like the answer to the question once you've answered the question, once you've gotten the satisfaction, the drive Mm -hmm. recedes. Mm -hmm. The drive that got you to even hope to achieve that goal. And uh, I think what drives pretty much the entire program for me is uh, that I made peace with being eternally unsatisfied. Mm. And and this sense of restlessness Mm. that uh, is nearly akin to a form of discomfort is uh, very inspiring to me because it drives me to, you know, no matter how many pieces of music I write, I'm never really satisfied. I want to write another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used to be something I struggled with, whereas now it's become something I'm, I am good friends with. I've uh, reconciled myself with this idea that this sense of insatisfaction is effectively the thing that drives me uh, to mm. achieve more things. And... Uh, discover more things. Mm. Interesting. So instead of looking for that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, as an example, you learn to accept that, hey, this is part of this drive, as you call it, as part of the human condition. I think it's, the, it's part of the even biological condition. Biological condition. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, certainly, some very worthy practices that, that, that uh, teach us uh, acceptance and invite us into uh, feeling a sense of wholeness and contentment and serendipity, beautiful practices, uh, and certainly worth exploring those as uh, tools. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but fundamentally life needs stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's contrary effectively to life to think that we don't need things because at the very simplest idea you need air, mm. uh, you need water, you need food. Uh, so reconciling yourself with those basic needs is fundamental to even your homeostasis. Mm. Um, and then later you need company. Mm-hmm. Now it's good to learn how to be by yourself. I think it's really valid practice to learn to free yourself as much from maybe the neuroses that comes from having to reconcile with that need. Mm-hmm. But eventually it's also good to integrate uh, the full breadth of the human experience. Mm-hmm. and maybe use those desires and steer them in the right direction. Uh, and that's mostly what I do. I have mm-hmm. this like insatiable, literally insatiable mm-hmm. desire. Mm-hmm. But instead of ever hoping to satiate it, mm-hmm. I've just learned to point it in mm-hmm. certain directions. Mm-hmm. So I point it towards mostly music, but mm-hmm. other things too, philosophy and um, painting at times, writing at others. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting um, point of view, which, I mean, you're speaking to the choir. I definitely appreciate uh, that that point of view as well. Uh, But let's actually unpack that a little bit, because some people's point of view, let's say the aesthetics, right? These people basically try to deprive themselves from food, water, even just the basic needs, (coughs) shelter as Mm -hmm. a way to... Uh, find that contentment that way. Train their mind. Say, hey, mm-hmm. you're my mind. You don't run me. I run you. So um, even even though the body wants sustenance, the mind goes, no. Mm-hmm. You're gonna deprive yourself of of love, of the connection, of food, even water, and all these other things. That's a, a as a way for them to quote unquote transcend their body and their mind that way. Versus. Uh, the, my understanding of what you're saying is finding acceptance to this human desire, the, the body, the, the mind, the, the, all of the conditions, and as a way to just point towards the lifestyle they want. Is that, do I have your understanding accurately? Yeah, and, and I don't mean to dismiss uh, many, many different paths out there. There's some beautiful ascetic paths, the path of renunciation uh, mm-hmm. is found in different cultures. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of value to this. Uh, you even see uh, small, uh, like um, symbolic versions of it through fasting. Mm-hmm. In certain cultures, you fast for a day, a month, or a month, a year. Mm-hmm. Or, um, uh, the idea of pilgrimage uh, is found in a lot of cultures. Vipassana, uh, um, the idea of denying yourself even uh, sound for mm-hmm. a while. Um, they're all beautiful practices in trying to tame and learn also our edges of comfort and go past them Mm -hmm. and uh, learn to work with what we have which is uh, at first a little bit uh, rough around the edges and a bit confused when we're young and uh, there's a lot of things coming through us Mm -hmm. hormones Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things and so there's a a certain uh, some of these paths are really uh, valid um, and if uh, anybody is drawn towards them, I really uh, applaud them for uh, uh, finding that which is true to them. Right. Um, so I, I don't mean to at all imply that my way is better or their way is yeah, better. It's just course. a different approach. Uh, I've tried a few of these paths. I did some interesting tests uh, when I was young, experiments on myself. I spent... Uh, uh, a few weeks in total uh, um, absence of light 
I boarded all the windows in my loft and spent about a month uh, with no clocks, no watches, and no light. Um, mm. I organized it ahead of time. Mm. Um, I've tried to deprive myself of like sensory deprivation just to see what happens to my psyche when I do that. Uh, I've done a lot of fasting. Well, so uh, before you go on to that, so what happened to your psyche when you, when you try that experiment? Well, you learn to reorient with a different set of conditions. Uh, so you remove a sense, and so it doesn't mean you don't orient yourself. Uh, you just orient yourself differently, and thus your consciousness is informed in a different way. The way you think, the way you approach, is uh, the sum of a different uh, set of conditions. Mm. Uh, and again, no less valid, no more valid, just mm. different. And that's where it becomes interesting to play with some of these uh, modalities, uh, mm. is to explore actually how flexible the mind is mm-hmm. and the perception is. Mm-hmm. And through that, for at least for me, what it's uh, shown me over time is that this attachment to I am the kind of person who does this, or I am that, or I am this, or I am that, becomes less and less, has less and less of a hold on me. Mm. I become more adaptive or, mm-hmm. and, and less maybe righteous about my opinion, mm-hmm. precisely because I've come to believe that my opinion is a sum, uh, the result of a lot of things mm. outside my control and if you change a few conditions my opinion as in how it's formed by my mind mm. will look at things differently all I have to do is change the conditions so I don't have to be so adamant about my opinion or mm. even judge somebody for theirs like I notice sometimes if somebody uh, expresses an opinion that I find challenging then instead of judging it all I have to do is consider that the way they came to that conclusion is simply the result of a completely different set of conditions. Right. And that were I in that set of conditions, I most likely would end up with the same conclusions. Right. However reprehensible I might think they are from my angle. Correct. You know. mm-hmm. um, so it's a way to also be more at peace with what uh, presents itself. Mm. So what are some of the other radical, um, well, or not-so-radical experiments you experimented? Well, I think the most radical thing that I've ever done was sleep dep- uh, sleep deprivation mm. as a uh, means of uh, experimenting with uh, mind-altering without substances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had my share of uh, mind-altering substances when I was young, and I went through a decade of sobriety, of uh, uh, kind of recovering from some of my... Uh, the challenges of my youth, shall we mm. say. Mm. And during that decade, I was still curious about altering my mind, but without the use of external uh, mm. agents. And so depriving myself of uh, light was an interesting one. Mm. Uh, depriving myself of sleep was another attempt. So I think the... What happened there? Uh, it's not not to be recommended. Uh, you, <laughs> you should not try not to sleep for five days. <laughs> what is what happened? Uh, really kind of you get into a psychedelic state. Mm. Yeah. After about the third day, there is a state of uh, altered perception, mm. uh, not unlike that of putin psychedelics. Mm. Um, I think, again, like if you look throughout the world, uh, humans have always been curious about altering their mm. way of perceiving things. Mm-hmm. So in certain cultures, they do it through body modification or scarification, uh, flagellation, mm-hmm. um, uh, fasting, mm-hmm. uh, going in a cave for 10 years, uh, sitting cross-legged in strange pretzel positions. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they're all ways of transcending mm-hmm. the uh, default, our own in individual default perception. 
mm. and challenging it. Mm. And so that's all that these things do. They allow you to realize how flexible your perception is mm. and start to uh, broaden your uh, understanding. Or not understanding, perception at least. Mm. Understanding maybe comes later. Mm. So if that's the case, why didn't you recommend it? The sleep deprivation? Oh, health issues. <laughs> oh, health issues. Yeah, yeah, it's dangerous. Actually. Oh, yeah, in what way was it dangerous? Well, because you can die from it. <laughs> oh, uh, really? Yeah, if you deprive some any creature from too much sleep after mm. a few days, the metabolism uh, shuts down, mm. and mm. Uh, they get a heart attack. <laughs> mm. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Please don't do, try this at home. Don't try this at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's interesting. So, because you you mentioned a few points, so <coughs> let me ask you this: How do you um, navigate? Because let's say you do a series of experiments. You experience some peak experience of some sort, develop some awareness of, hey, I can perceive this reality we call life this way or that way. Mm -hmm. Then how do you um, navigate, I guess, with the word that's coming to mind is like healthy, unhealthy, way to look at this or continue this path based on this thinking, etc., etc. Like why do I pursue one over another? Um, how do you right, adjust the, the lifestyle a few degrees over because it's healthier or it continues to guide you? Like how, what kind of metrics, internal metrics do you use as a way to help guide you to run your next experiment to reinforce certain things one way or the other? Uh, functionality. Say more about that, please. Um, well, as in there's some paths that are um, less functional than others. So um, if I want, at the time, let's say 30 years ago, when I was really uh, focusing on my uh, career as a composer and musician in commercial uh, um, media, uh, locking myself up in a cave uh, would not have been very functional, Mm. uh, since I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet uh, producers and filmmakers and mm-hmm. you know uh, musicians mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. So functionality is a, a very simple factor. And um, there we go to the, this, a cornerstone of, uh, not a cornerstone, sorry, let me back up. There's a choice to be made in what drives us. Uh, one is the quest for pleasure which could be equated with success. Let's say success brings us pleasure and joy. Mm-hmm. And they're beautiful uh, motivators, these uh, motivators. And then there's another motivator, which is fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Now, fulfillment doesn't necessarily come with uh, joy or even pleasure, but it's a different uh, uh, motivator for uh, choices that one makes with life. And I've always been more motivated by fulfillment than joy. Mm. Um, can you say a little bit more about um, fulfillment? How would you define that? Well, fulfillment to me is the result of a more of an existential acquisition. Mm. It's a, whereas joy tends to be transitory, which is why we seek another reason to feel joyous. Mm. So let's say, you know, I like chocolate, and right. if I eat chocolate, I'll Give feel... Give me positive emotions after I eat this chocolate. Exactly. Yeah. So, But in order to feel that, I'll have to eat more chocolate. Right. right. As soon as I'm not eating chocolate, that joy is... I mean, right. I might have a sweet memory of yesterday's chocolate for a little while, but it's not going to last long, so I'm right. going to look for more. Right. Uh, whereas, uh, let's say you do something kind for someone, or you uh, do an objective that... Uh, uh, like you acquire a skill, mm. you you know you read a really really 
beautiful book that changes you, that uh, enriches you in some way, mm -hmm. and you've put in the effort to read the thousand pages and uh, really get, get deep into it, that stays with you for the rest of your life. Mm. That may not have been as fun. You might read a book that's really heady and you have to look up a lot of definitions in the dictionary and mm. really like read some of these paragraphs a few times to really get to the heart of it. Mm. So it may not be fun or pleasurable. You may not derive joy from it, but mm. you derive at the end a sense of fulfillment mm. that I think stays with you longer mm. and uh, becomes, that's why I call it more of an existential thing. It carves and shapes you, uh, your beingness. Mm in a way that is more uh, long-lasting. At least for me, that's how I perceive it. Right. So you use the internal metrics of fulfillment as a way to guide you towards different experiments. Is that an accurate way, way to recap what you just said? When you were asking me how, you know, why do I choose one path versus another? And Correct. why would I favor one versus another? Correct. And I said, well, it goes to uh, functionality. Mm. And uh, so is it functionally contributing mm -hmm. to that sense of fulfillment? Mm -hmm. Or is it uh, simply giving me a delightful uh, sense of joy and pleasure? Mm. Uh, and not that I deny myself pleasure. I just right. don't let it define the majority of the time I spend. I spend the majority of the time seeking fulfillment and then sometime seeking also pleasure. Mm. But it's a lesser percentage. Lesser percentage as you um, gain more wisdom and age? No, it always has. Yeah. Hmm? It always has. It always has. Yeah. You just have, you, I've always, since you were five years old, wanted to pursue the path of fulfillment. No, because at five, you're not necessarily in charge of your program. Your parents define mm -hmm. where you go and what you do. Sure. Uh, but certainly as a early young adult, mm -hmm. I, uh, I realized that uh, there was more to be gained by fulfillment than, mm -hmm. for me at least, again, it's not necessarily something that's a, a not universal truth. It just happens to work for me better. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a beautiful gift to have that realization that, you know, when you're a teenager because I looking back at my own journey I certainly didn't have that right I was certainly chasing the positive experience mm -hmm. right when I was younger and I think the switch happened when I enter into my uh, the 20 mid 20s yeah that's about right yeah. right and then and then obviously less and less about the physical pleasure and more and more about this internal existential you know quest for fulfillment mm -hmm. okay we all have that moment uh, and i think pretty much everybody would appreciate that say you walk on the street mm -hmm. and you spot a 20 dollar bill mm -hmm. <coughs> or let's say with a five dollar bill mm -hmm. uh, and you have two choices you can make with it you're in front of an ice cream uh, parlor mm -hmm. and there's a homeless person sitting outside the ice cream parlor Right, so here's a clear choice. You can either go and treat yourself to a five dollar ice cream, and there's no reason you don't deserve it. You're a nice person, mm -hmm. and you feel like ice cream. It's a hot summer day, and there's some really nice ice cream in that ice mm -hmm. cream parlor. And surely there's nothing wrong if you choose to do that. Mm -hmm. It's not immoral. Mm -hmm. uh, and you walk out, and you'll eat your ice cream, and an hour later, that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can hand the homeless person the five bucks and walk away from the ice cream parlor. Mm -hmm. What will shape your life more? Mm. You know, what will stay with you down the road. Mm. And that's it. That's where it comes down to. And well, uh, when you're young, as if you're a younger uh, kid, well, 
it's not that they're not caring, but mm. they don't have the comprehension capacities to consider that choice. Mm. So they, of course, will take the five bucks and go to ice, get ice cream. Right. <laughs> you know, the point, and when you start mm. getting into your 20s, then you start considering the consequences of your actions. Mm. Yeah, I love that quote from uh, Viktor Frankl, um, the author of uh, Men's Search for Meaning. He says, between stimulus and response, there's a space, and in that space lies our growth and freedom. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is as you grow older uh, or acquire more wisdom rather you the the space lengthens now you have more and more choice and options or consideration rather yeah you take more and more into consideration yeah um, I shared this little story with you uh, with the group a couple of nights ago uh, where I said you know if you take a child to um, a forest uh, the child will see a lot of green stuff and then you bring a teenager to the forest and you'll be able to spot trees and shrubs and then a young adult will know the name of some of the trees and say, oh, that's an oak tree, a pine tree, a cedar. And then you take a bio- same person, you know, turns into a biologist and he goes there and all of a sudden he sees the complexity of an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you take a historian to that same forest and now he understands the concepts on a geopolitical level of you know, what took place for centuries, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's the same forest, and so it's, no in, it's not inaccurate to perceive life one way, it's just that there's different lenses of perception on it. And I think as we get older, we just are able to consider mm-hmm. more and more factors. And it's normal, it's just part of our, uh, our maybe neurologically, our, uh, uh, you know, our brain wires itself to take more and more things into consideration. We have um, more capacity to comprehend the consequences of our actions because, well, we've gotten hurt and we've hurt others and we felt regret. So now when we act, we take a moment Mm. to go, well, will I get hurt or will I hurt someone else? You know, Mm. we've lost things we cared about. So now we're a bit more careful. That's why kids, you know, you give them a toy, they'll break it. Mm -hmm. You give an adult uh, something of value, they will care for it. it's not that the kid is a worse person than the adult, it's just inexperienced mm. and it hasn't learned yet. That's a very, that's a very compassionate way yeah. to look at it. Okay, so as you get older and acquire more wisdom, the word that you also used earlier is capacity, right? More and more mm. capabilities. And you, are, you have the uh, various options, right? So I want to actually segue this into a different, um, different conversation. So as you get older, you have more capabilities, more wisdom, more ways to consider things, and also more capacities, more social currencies as well. How do you choose the projects that you take on? Because you can go write another screenplay, learn another song, learn another instrument, learn or you know, give all your resources to a homeless person. <laughs> all of them may give you various degrees of fulfillment, let's say thousand choices which one do you pick how do you pick how do you make your choices um, well first I want to back up for a moment because uh, I don't know necessarily I, I'm, I'm very um, um, careful with the use of the word wisdom mm. um, that's why I refer to functionalities and capacities and things okay. like this uh, just because it's a little bit uh, more neutral okay uh, if somebody feels compelled to call me wise, I'll take the compliment, but I don't know that I'm wise. I'm just trying to figure things out like everybody else. Uh, and well, I, uh, there's a certain amount of capacities that I realize I have more ease at 
just from repetition. You know, the more we do something, the more comfortable it becomes. What make all that wisdom? What's your definition of wisdom? No, it's possible. No, no, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Um, so, uh, as far as what determines my choices, well, I'm kind of a bit of a conundrum. Uh, not conundrum, but I'm in a phase of my life where things are changing. The motivations of my younger life are have less of a hold on me, and yet I can't necessarily admit that I've settled uh, into this next phase. Uh, I've definitely felt a shift in the last few years, mm -hmm. and I'm not ageist. I, I feel very young and kind of ageless in one way, mm -hmm. uh, and yet there is still a bell, bell curve to life. We, mm -hmm. you know, there's an inevitability to mortality, and it mm -hmm. shapes also the way we think and perceive life. Mm -hmm. um, not from an alarmist standpoint, just I, I welcome it. I'm really glad I'm becoming who I am becoming. It gets better every year, mm -hmm. uh, hopefully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, to me, it does. Right. Um, and, uh, and yet, I'm relearning, I'm having to relearn in a way as I become this new version of uh, who I thought I was, uh, what will motivate my choices. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a you know, the, the motivations of my 20s are very different in my 30s, 40s, and now I'm entering my 50s. Mm. Um, I would say that what motivates me today may be different, for sure, than in 10 years. But right you might now, concretize that? Like, what, what, what motivated you in 20s and 30s and 40s and now 50s? Just so that people can have a little bit more Yeah, I mean, and this is just applied to me, it's not necessarily universal, but I think in my 20s a lot of neuroses uh, mm -hmm. drove me, uh, insecurities. Mm -hmm. uh, insecurity is a great motivator mm -hmm. for achievement, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, having to try to prove things to myself or my parents or my peers, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. uh, all these things that mm -hmm. drove me nuts, but also drove me to practice mm -hmm. 10, 12 hours a day, mm -hmm. uh, seven days a week, uh, you know, things like that were great motivators. Mm -hmm. And then eventually uh, I became confident enough to go, okay, well, I'm becoming decent at this. I don't need to be neurotic about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, But then um, the motivation in my 30s then is m probably more uh, wanting status and success and economic wealth um, and uh, what uh, this generation these days calls abundance, mm -hmm. <laughs> manifesting abundance. Right? We didn't have that then, but uh, same idea of wanting basically stuff for self, you know, and, and uh, external um, evidence of one's worth. Mm. You know, in the form of a big house or a car, or cool clothes. Uh, in my case, many instruments. You know. mm -hmm. uh, and then in my forties, uh, there's definitely a, a realization that uh, that program has run its course, and uh, that I no longer was uh, willing to let that program uh, guide the. the uh, majority of my choices mm. um, so became more interested again in uh, um, say more philosophical inquiry mm. like start to cultivate more of an inner life the realization that actually all this stuff is just stuff and it's mm. not necessarily going to be uh, here forever it's not as fulfilling as other 
uh, practices. I'd say my 40s were more the, the, was the beginning of this change uh, of uh, walking away from that what some people call the, you know, the rat race yeah. of achievement yeah. of or valuing oneself against the quote unquote success, evidence of success. Mm-hmm. Um, as determined by this occidental culture, or this you know more capitalist uh, system, mm. and um, and it led me to change my life and find myself in a ranch in the mountains where you and I are right now. Mm. Uh, and now that I'm here, I'm curious as to what will happen in my fifties. Mm. Um, so you haven't had as crisp of a definition, or it is what's what I'm looking for, um, like a pursuit of X. In, you so articulately said earlier. I, I'm less and less interested in pursuing X. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, a big shift, I would say, uh, that's taken place in the last decade of my life is to change the main source of my motivation mm-hmm. from what to how. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this uh, yeah. the other night, no? And so it's a distinction. Uh, a lot of our culture uh, focuses and invites us to focus on what we hope to achieve, uh, what we hope to accomplish, what we hope to become, uh, what do you do, what are you. Uh, the, the predominant focal point uh, is on the what. And been a gradual process, but the last 10 years I've put that question aside and concerned myself more and more with the how. How will I achieve? How will I walk? How will I talk? How will I be? And trust that the what will be informed by the how rather than the other way around. And uh, because over the course of uh, my experience in life, I've come to realize that the... um, what I am left with at the end of any experience, if it's short-lived or long-lived, it could be a short project or a long relationship or you know, it can be the duration of uh, an afternoon uh, going to a park or it can be a vacation or writing an album or producing a soundtrack or getting married and whatever. Uh, that What I'm left with at the end of these chapters is far more determined by how I uh, approached each of these things than what I approached. Um, and so I focus more on the how these days. So what would be an example of how? Well, how is not that uh, mysterious. It's, you know, uh, there's some hows that I uh, happen to favor, such as uh, kindly, mm-hmm. uh, gently, uh, compassionately, uh, uh, patiently, uh, mm-hmm. um, politely uh, inspired um, yeah they're just simple ideas so I let that guide my actions more than what I choose mm-hmm. to do why did you pick those out of infinite number of possibilities because over the course of my life but also I think history some of these qualities keep coming back in the writings of some uh, worthy uh, teachers, and um, they are uh, useful tools mm. uh, with which to uh, have a decent life, actually. Because mm. in the end, that's all we're here to do. We're, mm-hmm. we're here for a finite amount of time, mm-hmm. and 
yes, it's cool to achieve this or acquire that and uh, prove ourselves that we can do this and we can do that. But in the end, it's really how we feel mm. about our life and mm. how we uh, have affected others mm. when they feel. I think it's a Maya Angelou quote who mm. says, you know, people remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, something along those lines and it's uh, something that stuck with me um, and that stays with me it's like what impact do I have on myself and others mm. more than what have I done mm. and uh, what impact is determined by how I did things mm. so question for you there so I'm very human right just like uh, and there's aspirations of the how I wanted to to maintain, be more patient, compassionate, loving, mm. all these things. Then there's the moment where I'm being tested, mm. right? Someone may say something that triggers whatever, mm-hmm. then I find myself losing my patience, yeah. losing my cool, right? All that calmness that I gather from meditation <clears throat> evaporates, in evaporates instant, instantly. Instantly. Yeah. And the true test is of Hey, you, you say you want to be more patient, boom, right there, right? So then in, so I'm curious to know your point of view. How do you maintain that groundedness in that moment? But uh, I don't. You don't? No, I'm just as human as you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the short answer is I'm not perfect, no one is. There's mm-hmm. not a single human on this planet that doesn't have a capacity for losing their temper and mm-hmm. challenge them long enough. Even the Dalai Lama, I'm sure, can get miffed. Mm. You know, like, uh, it's, uh, it's okay. Mm. Uh, you don't um, try to control it, you just go no, with no, it? No, no, it's no, it's a practice. Uh, as in, yes, there's some things that I would like to, uh, that I work on, mm-hmm. uh, but not from the place of uh, beating myself up, mm. just a place of learning the lesson. So we have some really wonderful, uh, intelligent mechanisms, uh, we don't even have to practice them. Regret Mm -hmm. and remorse Mm -hmm. is a delightful teacher Mm -hmm. in pointing out that you could do better, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you say you have a moment, you know, altercation with somebody or conversation that doesn't go the way you hoped and your reaction is to be short and snappy or rude or even mean. Mm -hmm. At that moment, you lost your cool. Mm -hmm. Well, majority of people have enough morals that within a day or two they'll go oh i kind of feel bad about that Mm -hmm. you know like we know when we've done something wrong and Mm -hmm. it shows up as remorse or regret or guilt in some cases and those are the moments to commit ourselves to approaching it in a better way it's a flag Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like a little mini trauma Mm -hmm. it uh, Mm -hmm. reminds us oh okay i'll be careful next time and uh, they happen all the time. Like we learn how to not burn ourselves by burning ourselves a little bit. You know? mm-hmm. Like we put our hand on the stove a little bit, hopefully, <laughs> right. and go, ooh, okay, so that's what he does to me in small amounts. And do it only twice, three times. After that, you know not to do it. Mm. Um, so it's the same way, I think. We learn uh, by listening to this process. Mm-hmm. And having patience, it's, it's going to happen by one way or another. I was telling you the other day, like patience happens one way or another, whether you... Yeah, no, this is actually really great. If you don't, mm-hmm. don't mind sharing that publicly and on this podcast, I think that was really valuable. Which one? Patience happens regardless. Oh, yeah. 
for some of us who uh, were predisposed to being impatient mm -hmm. and uh, it's not necessarily uh, you don't even have to practice at becoming patient you will become patient one way or another because life literally gets it out of you there's mm -hmm. going to be inevitably things that only time reveals to you no matter what effort you think you can put towards it you can't speed it up and one no. of them is wisdom, one of them is becoming. Mm. You become one day at a time. It's nothing, you can't escape that one. Um, That's actually interesting um, what you just said, you can't speed it up. Because in my mind, I wanted to believe, right, with my daily meditation practice or, mm. you know, contemplative studies, philosophical conversation with friends, I could somehow, um, not necessarily speed it up, but catalyze, you know, to bring that awareness more and more and more. So, um, but your point of view is, it's just, it would, it's going to take nine months to have a baby and that's just how it's going to be and no amount of daily practice, whatever, it's going to help cultivate this patience. No, it's not that it doesn't help something, but it doesn't, it's not necessary. It's a bit like this. If you look at the ocean, mm -hmm. Uh, on top of the ocean, you might see waves and ripples, and if there's a breeze, let's say it'll splash a bit of water, there'll be uh, some foam, all sorts of activities. And if you go and you splash at the top of the ocean, or if you drive a boat through it, you will make some visible marks, some lines. No? But what's actually really happening underneath is the tides. The entire ocean is moving mm. to the left and to the right in ways that is way more fundamental to what's going on actually than the little splashing of the waves that happens on top. I think a lot of what we do when we're attempting these quote-unquote hacks is we're splashing around on the top of the ocean. Mm. What's actually really happening to you is the tides. The entire sum of the ocean is moving at its own pace and you're just residing on the top surface, playing with the, the top surface of the water. Mm. Uh, the way life unfolds through us is like the tides. It's not uh, escapable. And mm -hmm. it's uh, way more uh, fundamental, isn't it? It's the foundation upon which all these entertaining activities take place, such as, oh, I'm going to get into spiritualism or mm -hmm. uh, maybe brain hacks or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to try to meditate. And it's great. There's nothing wrong with doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's on a surface that is uh, rather finite. And... Mm -hmm. uh, and is a perfectly fine way to spend time. <laughs> I see. So, in in other words, I want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing is, all right, if this is useful, this is entertaining, this practice, do it, but won't necessarily move the needle per se. It still takes time to develop that patience. Let's use that as a marker. Yeah, it, yeah. Is, it takes time to become mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, it takes time to become, you know, older version of yourself. It mm -hmm. literally takes all these years to become older. And one mm -hmm. way or another, you can try to hack it all you want. Mm -hmm. And why would you want to? Uh, and it's not to say that some of these practices are not uh, useful sometimes, but most of what they are useful for is uh, giving our... Uh, kind of what uh, is uh, referred to as our monkey brain something to chew on mm. so that, you know, we don't become too neurotic and confused or anxiety-riddled. So it helps relieve anxiety. A lot of these practices, like meditation, mm -hmm. are there to really help you be okay mm -hmm. uh, while the big, long theme of life unfolds. Mm.
not sure I like what I hear. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, but, but but and again, this is just my own personal experience. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. And uh, but precisely, um, to me, uh, worthy. This is the way I kind of look at worthy conversations mm -hmm. that I walk away with something to chew on mm -hmm. versus something that I've already heard. Mm -hmm. right? So okay, so segue a little bit more. I see in your house two hundred instruments. Mm -hmm. And the level of mastery that you have on these instruments is just, you know, just astounding. Because mm. I, by myself, I'm having a hard enough time to even practice one. You do 200. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for those of us that's not well versed, uh, skill in music or instruments, uh, what mental models do you have for someone who aspires to play? An instrument, because that here is actually the story that I hear a lot from people. I used to play music when I was young. I don't because X, Y, and Z. I am afraid to pick it up again. So there is a mental block there that stops them from even picking it up again. To have the courage to jump back in into the world of the unknown. So what, what? Um, mental shift as well as uh, tactical practice that they can take on to well to enjoy this beautiful thing called playing music um, well for one thing i don't necessarily know that it takes courage mm. um that, that word uh, is starting to become so overused that it's losing its initial meaning okay uh, um and um what we're seeing is a little bit of a time in our culture which is focused on instant gratification right? and uh, where we want uh, fast results. Uh, we like, uh, say, the conveniences of all our digital gadgetry. I can text you, I expect a reply back, and, uh, and you want to text me back quickly, so you put an emoji. You know, so this idea of instant <laughs> gratification. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Right. We, we all do it, yeah, yeah of course. Uh, and so we're starting to lose, um, or forget, not lose, but it's a temporary, maybe, amnesia, that uh, there is eff uh, the, the value of reward to effort. Mm. Um, and so when I meet people who uh, have the same discourse with me, well, you know, I used to play a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Most of what, what I detect is people who simply just were not uh, encouraged to get past the initial discomfort mm. because we are monkey see monkey do mm -hmm. you know the mirror receptors uh, mm. we uh, are part of a time in history where we see instant gratification at the click of a mouse mm -hmm. and so if we pick up an instrument and it requires say a thousand hours not ten thousand but just you know, even five hundred hours before we become even halfway decent at it, majority of people just give up after 30 hours, or even sometimes 10 hours. Mm. Go through this charge. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and there was, I think, uh, a different time when there was a little bit more value on self-discipline mm. um, as a measure of a good life. This mm. ability to discipline oneself uh, which wasn't always self-discipline. Sometimes it was imposed discipline. You know, uh, in some cultures and some older traditions, there's a much more uh, 
demands placed even on the young people, etc., to live up to a certain uh, code of behavior, mm-hmm. which in our Western civilization we feel like we've liberated ourselves from it. Mm-hmm. You know, the shackles of traditionalism mm-hmm. have been lifted, mm-hmm. and now it's uh, the time for individual uh, expression, mm-hmm. which is beautiful on one end, but it has uh, forgotten in the process that these old traditions uh, emerged over the course of centuries to help us acquire skills which are not instant gratify, instantly gratifying in some cases, mm. but are very useful in the long run or uh, fulfilling. We're back to this idea. Mm. They're fulfilling. Mm. Uh, so if I have any suggestion is uh, have patience and uh, be uh, committed. It's about commitment. We're also living in a time where people this notion of commitment is uh, very subjective, shall we say. Mm. You know, and you see that in relationships. What's your definition of commitment? I don't necessarily know that I have a precise one. A commitment is a, is a, it's a, it's a. <laughs> wow, I'm stumped. Uh, a commitment is a commitment. I'm sorry. Um, wow, I love the question. Thank you. Ah, that's great. What is my definition of commitment? Okay, so this is my definition of commitment. Um, I do have one. Mm, Great. (laughs) Uh, It's a willingness to surrender. Mm. Fully. If not fully, at least the, the necessary part of yourself to what you're committing to. And so it doesn't matter if it's a relationship, a person, mm-hmm. um, or if it is an art form, or if it is a philosophical principle, a political ideology, uh, a career path. When you commit to it, it's not you doing something to it, it's you allowing that thing to come inside you and guide your actions. Mm-hmm. And the willingness you, to. To give yourself up mm-hmm. to it. You actually give yourself to it. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, relinquishing mm-hmm. uh, it is a form of self-abnegation and mm. service to something that you believe uh, is a good vehicle mm. for a worthy vehicle for your experience. And once you do that, then you're not in question. Then there's no effort per se, although mm. some of it can be feel like an effort. You're doing stuff, you know? um, but it is. Uh, it feels very natural. Yeah, you mentioned a few interesting. Points. I want to follow up. You mentioned feel. You mentioned um, surrendering to this. I think you, the word you use is choice or decisions or something like that. Mm-hmm. But in a world where there's infinite possibility, where we, one could make tons of different options, right? Mm-hmm. To take different options, it's uh, easy to feel like, well, Maybe I shouldn't have picked the guitar. Maybe the um, what's will be the um, smaller one, the, the the ukulele will be easier. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the ukulele is not it. Maybe it's the um, let me pick another instrument. Maybe the the mouth harp or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? The didgeridoo, right? It's mm-hmm. it's easier. So, how do you discern? which path to pick 
Is the question specifically related to picking an instrument? Or I, I, I think, so in my mind, everything is translatable, mm -hmm. right? It could be starting a business. Should I start business A, business B? Should I pick a partner? You know, partner A, partner B. Instrument, instrument A, B, C. And chances are it's more than one, right? Because as, as if we go on Tinder, <laughs> a thousand choices, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is too challenging. Swipe left. <laughs> Went on two dates. Ah, you didn't have this or that and the other thing. Swipe left. In the days where this, we're inundated by choice, it's, I would assert, harder to surrender to this commitment. Because I may be committed to have a great relationship, but now you have inundated with choice. Like, ah, maybe I shouldn't. I could optimize my chance for success to reach this thing if I... Okay, so the first, it, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll start my answer at the end of your question. Sure. Uh, success mm -hmm. uh, is a much uh, flouted, uh, flaunted word these days. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the matrix by which we determine success is very subjective. Although mm -hmm. these days it's economic, it's uh, outward signs of mm -hmm. happiness, mm -hmm. uh, which often we find out later. Uh, we're not necessarily commensurate with what was going on in the inner life. You know? mm -hmm. You see somebody who looks very wealthy, happy, married, and we find out they committed suicide. You know? mm -hmm. So there's things like this. So, yeah. uh, and yet we gauge our success based on comparing the our own outward manifestation to their own outward manifestation. It's a game of comparison. Mm -hmm. Success is subjective. It's a race. Uh, but that means there has to be losers and winners. So I just invite you to first consider how useful this notion of seeking success actually mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's not useful in a certain source of motivation, and motivation is a good uh, driving mm -hmm. agent, but uh, you can choose what you are motivated by. Mm. Um, it's good to be motivated, period. I do believe that. Uh, but there comes a point where you can become more selective as to what you wish to be motivated by. Mm. And the motivation for success is not necessarily a bad one, but it's not necessarily the only one mm. that you can drive mm. yourself. Mm -hmm. um, fundamentally, uh, you know, what do you want your life to be defined by? Is a more interesting uh, question. Mm. How do you want, who do you? Who would you like to become? Mm. in life mm. uh, is an interesting inquiry it's worth considering it's worth listening to that voice and that voice is found in silence in mm. away from comparative mediums such as social media television other people it's really found in uh, those states of isolation and meditation and silence where you actually get to reconnect with that little spark that mm. makes you you Uh, having said that, I go back to an earlier answer when you say, you know, do you swipe left or do you swipe right? At some point you realize that it has nothing to do with who you're swiping towards. Mm. It has to do with how you're going to show up in any relationship that will determine the outcome of your relationship. Mm. And we know this because there's evidence, plenty of it, of people in certain cultures where their marriages are arranged Correct. who confess after 30, 40, 50 years of these marriages that they are have some of the best relationships we mm. have come to know. And they were not given the opportunity to swipe left or swipe right and mm. pick on probabilities of success. But they were supported by the, some, some of these cultures, not all of them, I'm not making a big generalization, I'm using this as an idea, 
um, that the, some of these cultures assisted these people in uh, in the how, mm-hmm. and the how being more patient, more understanding, less self, more in service to the whole, to the family, to the culture, to society. That's what uh, allows these people to feel really content in mm-hmm. their later years. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing things which to our, gated by ours, I mean the Western model here in America today, uh, would seem not successful. Mm-hmm. It, does, it does not look like success. You know? uh, I've seen people live very simple lives. I've traveled a lot and gotten to meet a lot of people because I'm a musician and it's a great passport to have an mm-hmm. instrument. Mm-hmm. It opens all these doors. Mm-hmm. So I get invited to all sorts of different socioeconomic uh, Brackets, you know, I've met rich people, poor people, simple people. Uh, they're all beautiful, all mm-hmm. amazing people. And I found it's really interesting to see how often people whose life from the outside looks very simple are actually far more content than the people who have achieved quote unquote success by our Western measure. Mm. Now, is that translatable to selecting a musical instrument? Yes, because in the end, it's not about the instrument, it's about how, how will you play the instrument? Will you dedicate yourself to it? Mm. Yeah. Will Especially you, your first one. Will you care for it? Mm-hmm. Will you practice it? Yeah. Will you commit yourself to uh, being in this conversation with this instrument long enough to get somewhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or are you just going to chit-chat with it? Yeah. Are you just going to go on that first date and go, ah, swipe left, oh, another one, first date, swipe left. All first dates are mm-hmm. fundamentally are not going to be very deep and rich. First day is always interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you got new, new thing to talk about. Yeah. It's a new instrument, right? It's, it's titillating. New sounds, yeah. but it does take. But the deeper questions mm-hmm. that Im- that enrich our lives in a relationship really come through time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they come through facing our fears. They come through facing our our vulnerabilities and uh, being willing to reveal those to one another. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. That's not on the first date. You don't swipe left or right mm-hmm. to do that. You, mm-hmm. you have to commit yourself to that conversation, mm-hmm. I think. that inquiry. I, I heard you say this in passing, and I, I wanted to bring it up. You had mentioned that, oh, this instrument is fine. It's, it's, feeling, it's very peaceful. It's not very needy. So you almost personify your instrument. Mm-hmm. As a, as a relationship that you cultivated so that you don't need to cultivate or pay attention to and practice as often as, you know, based on the requirement of the instruments. Is that an accurate comparison to... Yes, I know. We're, we're, yeah. I mean, I did say that probably in passing in the context of a party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, to correct the record, I own 200 instruments. I don't actively play 200 instruments and I'm definitely not a master at uh, many of them that I have here. Uh, I practice on a lot of them, but um, the rest are part of a collection that I've recorded and I work on periodically. I pull one out and I'll dive into it for a few months, mm-hmm. and some more than others. Um, and there are some instruments that are close enough uh, to another instrument. Uh, say, you know, I can go from a piano to an organ. Obviously, I don't have to practice the organ because it's the same sort of instrument. It has the same uh, ergonomics. Mm. So if I practice piano, I can once in a while sit in an organ and sound pretty good. Mm. Uh, Although if everybody wants to be an organist, I should practice the organ. Mm. But I can get away with uh, being a pianist on an organ. Mm. And uh, I can go from a guitar to 
maybe an oud mm. uh, and vice versa. Uh, so sometimes I do neglect one of them because it's in a family close enough mm. that uh, when I get back to it, uh, we're not starting from scratch. Mm. Um, so I want to segue to a, a theme of mastery. Oh. What would you say you're a master of? Oh, I would never say that I'm a master of anything. Well, I know you, you would never. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if I, one, one were to inquire that question, you know, what, would, what would be the intuitive answer that comes to mind? No, I mean, really my answer is it's not for me to determine. It's for, uh, for others to determine if I'm a master of anything. Mm. I'm a student. I, I'm a perpetual curious. And I'm not saying this as a false modesty. Um, I am aiming... I would like to reach a state of mastery to something in my life. It doesn't have to be music, it can be uh, anything. And uh, I think that others will inform me as to whether I got there or not. Mm. Uh, it's not my own gauge. Uh, well, how would you know? Is it winning some awards of some kind? I don't, or I don't know that I, of something? I don't know that I need to know. I don't necessarily care, actually. Mm. I, I like the quest. I like. Uh, I know. I, my, my relationship to mastery is is like this. I've seen it. I've been in the presence of it, uh, and I've certainly experienced it uh, as a listener, as an audience of different uh, different art forms as well as sports. Like I've definitely experienced uh, mastery, um, and it's a really. Uh, what the way I've come to perceive it is this, is that if you take any craft or skill, it doesn't matter, at first there is a disposition. You know, you might see in a kid, oh, he's got some musical disposition, um, and, or, you know, maybe he's drawing really well, or he's throwing balls really well in a hoop, and you're like, oh, well, you know, he has disposition with it. And then eventually that, uh, if cultivated a little bit, can show up as talent. Mm -hmm. And talent is really cool. Talent is the encouragement uh, where uh, something feels easier for that kid versus another activity or that activity to another kid. You know, it's a, a place where um, maybe there's a form of inner encouragement from this natural disposition that shows up as talent. And then uh, through a bit of effort and discipline and uh, again the cultivation of the parents or society or whatever, how it works out. Um, then it shows up as a uh, skill, mm -hmm. you know, and then eventually it shows up as accomplishment. And then we start to become aware of it uh, as an audience when we start going... Sorry, pause for a second. Accomplishments and recognition by others and win, win yeah. some awards of some sort. Of Even just uh, an applause, uh, whether it's an award an or applause, not. You know. Some feedback then, group. Yeah, some feedback. feedback, feedback or, uh, even if it's of the self, even if you buy yourself, mm -hmm. you at some point recognize that there's, oh my God, this actually is really cool. It's pretty good. You know, it's yeah. pretty good yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and there's that point where, and now I'm going to go back to the perspective of the audience. I've sat in many, many concerts, of course, and there's that moment where an artist is really, really impressive, where they are wowing us, mm -hmm. right? And that, of course, uh, I would say makes up a certain percentage of people, mm -hmm. uh, so percentage of these artists. Um, but they don't all us uh, all give us a sense of mastery. Mastery is, in my belief, it's that last three percent. Mm -hmm. It's ineffable. It's really hard to even define what it is. We can be impressed by uh, great skill, but we are awed by mastery. Mm. 
Mastery gives us a sense of awe mm -hmm. that transcends the person that is actually doing it. Mm -hmm. They are obviously doing it, but they, they nearly disappear. Mm -hmm. They become a vehicle for this moment that is being witnessed mm -hmm. at that moment. And it can be in a painting, it can be in a music, it can be in all sorts of things. Uh, um, it's a sort of visitation. Uh, visitation? Possibly. Because it's temporal, like uh, even great masters are not always masterful. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I've seen concerts from the same musician where there'll be that moment of mastery, and then the next time it's still really impressive, but it's not masterful. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's elusive, it's that last... You know, that little bit, yeah, it's the X factor. We don't really know why. You can see an athlete run every day, every day, and then that one moment he breaks the world record. Mm. And there's something that happened at that moment. It's a host of conditions. Mm. Okay, so let me ask you this <clears throat> follow up, right? As, a, as, a, as an artist, mm -hmm. in the musical form, the writer, as a writer, um, there's a saying that, hey, um, I get to be, I, I'm butchering the quote, but I get to be. Uh, inspire mm -hmm. uh, every day at nine o'clock and I see so the way they um, to help cultivate that environment for the visitation is by that discipline of sweeping their temple every day at nine o'clock messing the seat etc mm -hmm. what, what, uh, what are some of the uh, maybe rituals that you have as a way to sweep your temple mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To allow to to help with that visitation by uh, Elizabeth Kilted, the muse, <laughs> right, the visitation. As yeah. you said. I don't know how how you how will you name that entity, but how would you cultivate that? I'll just call it inspiration. Inspiration uh, okay. for now. And yes, uh, I I am a big fan of a Russian composer called Igor Stravinsky. Um, who wrote a, a really important work back in the 20th century called The Rite of Spring. And it's one of the pieces of music that really inspired me when I was young, and I studied a lot. And in his autobiography, uh, which I read when I was 16, uh, 17 years old, he um, said that he wrote every day of his life eight bars a day, mm. no matter what, just as an exercise. And it didn't matter if he was inspired or not. He would just sit down every day and write eight measures. So at the very minimum, it was a little bit like a workout, if you will. You know, every day he at least ran his two miles. Mm. You know, he, um, and so that when the moment of inspiration would strike him, he would not be rusty. Mm. Right? And so I took that to heart, and I did that for many, many, many years. I every day wrote eight measures a day. You did? Yeah, I did. Amazing. Yeah, for many years. And I wrote literally books, uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, notebooks mm. uh, full of these eight measure themes, ideas, uh, mm. sometimes a counterpoint, sometimes a chord progression, doesn't matter. And what turns out to be is, uh, the reason why it was really valuable, is that I never stopped at eight bars. Mm. But the goal was not so high that I wouldn't, you know, if I told myself every day I would write three hours a day, I may not have done it. Mm. But by Eight bars you can write in 15 minutes. Mm. But by doing it, uh, by having that minimum, I pretty much always sat for two hours. And I always wrote more than eight bars. You know? um, so I don't do that as religiously as I did then. Um, yeah, why? Just because I write every day. Mm. I don't need to give myself that eight bar. It was, uh, it, it's now so so much of a habit. It's, it's now arbitrary? Is that yeah, it's just part of it. It's like I, I breathe mm. every day. I don't 
give myself breathing exercises. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, so, uh, so as far as my ritual, yeah, pretty much every night when everybody has gone to sleep, I'm a nocturnal being, and I will sit, uh, even if it's two in the morning, and sit at the piano for at least what is supposed to be an hour. Works out to pretty much always being two or three or four. Mm. So I write every day. That's my practice. Now, let me ask you this. Is that a specific rituals for as a composer or just musician, period? Both, because I only play what I write. Oh, got it. So it's, mm. a, it's a multiplier. It's, it hits multiple points, stack. Well, I'm only a musician by necessity, uh, <laughs> meaning I'm a composer by, by trade, and that's what I like doing. I like creating music, mm. uh, but a lot of the stuff that I do... Uh, when I first started writing for uh, some of these exotic instruments, uh, I just couldn't meet musicians who played these weird instruments that I collect. So I learned how to oh, play the music that I was writing because there was nobody around to play it. Uh, so it started as a necessity, and then it became something I like doing. Of course, mm-hmm. I love. I'm also a musician, but for many years I didn't identify as a musician. I identified as a composer. And I would correct people if they introduce me. Oh, meet David the musician. I'd be like, No, no, I'm not a musician. I'm a composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now I've become equal part. Uh, but most of what I compose are uh, exercises for my musicianship. They're etudes, you know. They're oh, etude, uh, etude is a study. They're studies. Mm. You know, I write pieces uh, that uh, improve my playing. <laughs> oh, your drills? Yeah, they're drills. Mm. Interesting. They're studies. Uh, they're, uh, I mean, they're studies of many things. Not just they're not just finger exercise studies. Some of them are. So, uh, like I have some pieces that I have written to increase my dexterity. Mm. Uh, but there are some that uh, are the some of uh, more cognitive studies uh, of harmony mm. or concepts. Mm-hmm. So actually, on that note, I'm a amateur. I don't play music. I used to. Mm. Right. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Correct. I, I have in the past mm. and I want to. Mm. So what would simple kind of like building blocks? Because I find it to be useful to have, let me backtrack, kind of mixing analogy a little bit. You can definitely bake a cake by having the right ingredients with the right sequence. When you do things out of sequence, the cake will come out very, very different. Right. So similar in my mind, I always... In my mind, there's building blocks in life in general. So are there certain building blocks, major building blocks, if I wanted to appreciate music more, if I wanted to be a better vocalist or instrumentalist, what are some of the building blocks I should think about in terms of sequence on the road to mastery, per se? Well, first I would dispense with this idea of... uh reaching for mastery <laughs> as okay. a goal because we're back to this idea of success and all sure. that. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, Can't help it. I'm addicted to that idea. No, no, no. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm here to lovingly <laughs> remind you. I appreciate it. Thank you for the gentle <laughs> reminder. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's corny, but you know, we'll, we'll go back to the old saying. It's not the destination, it's the journey. La-di-da. You know, there's a reason why that saying has stuck around because... Really, your life is more pleasant that way. Mm. Pick a you know a general heading. Yeah, I mean it's nice to decide that you want enjoy you, the journey. Yeah. But if you don't enjoy the journey because you're only focused at this end goal, then you've mm. missed the point mm. uh, entirely mm. <laughs> of life. Um, 
and it doesn't necessarily mean you need to dilly-dally on your way to it. You can try to expedite getting there. But in, mm-hmm. even if it's fast, enjoy it. Like, mm-hmm. No matter what. Because yeah. otherwise, yeah, you're never sure that even when you get there, you're going to be happy. Mm-hmm. I've had that experience of reaching my goal, getting the, you know, getting the, the cherry on the pie and all this, and then realizing I don't like cherries. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's a very sobering experience after spending a decade trying to achieve something, to achieve it, only to realize that it's not all you thought it would, you know, be, and go. I can relate. You know, go. Oh wait! I spent ten years trying to achieve this, and I sacrificed this, and I gave this up, and I hurt this person, and I hurt myself, and now I have it, and I'm not all that content. You know, so uh, make sure you're content on your way. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. I, I definitely relate for sure. Uh, so to go back to your question, yeah, as far as uh, the building blocks, yes, there are some basic uh, ideas. Uh, Sorry, there's two approaches um, to music, and it depends on one's goal is. People forget that we call it playing music, Mm -hmm. and that uh, first and foremost it should be something enjoyable and playful, you know, um, and that for centuries um, most people played something. We didn't have radios, we didn't have iPods and uh, iPhones and TVs and all that stuff. So we made music with each other, for each other, and for just sheer pleasure, like we did last night, you know, where we played around. Everybody got to play and make a sound. You know, it was very convivial and uh, communal. Mm. And it was uh, very, very inspiring. Yeah, it was fun, no? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, part of uh, what people do these days is when they pick up an instrument, they instantly compare themselves to... Mm a vast amount of mastery that is available for direct listening, you know, streaming. <laughs> so they feel intimidated. Mm. Um, and if you go back through history, you know, there was, of course, uh, really talented, exceptional musicians uh, or other art forms. We'll stick to music for now. Uh, who might travel through your village and once a year might show up. And of course, it would be impressive and maybe even intimidating for a moment, but mostly it was inspiring. And then that traveling musician would leave. Mm. And then you were left in your village, mm. and you still wanted to hear music. So you might pick up a fiddle or spoons or you know a banjo, like something. Um, and music was uh, more integrated. The, the playing, music is in playing, playfully making music was more integrated in our everyday life. Um, so if anything, there's... Uh, for a large group of people, I would say just play, just have fun with it. Mm. You know, don't compare your achievements to like virtuoso musicians because you don't need to be a virtuoso musician. You just need to have fun with it. Mm. You have to play with it. Mm. And remember that it's uh, meant to be playful, mm. uh, which is true of most of life, by the way. I think. Uh, and then, if you want to have a career or deepen, once you have that original playfulness with it, if an instrument. Uh, calls you to a more dedicated path of musicianship, then it's about studying. And there's you know, all sorts of wonderful academic institutions out there that teach uh, composition or uh, one particular instrument. And, and yeah, just, just study it yeah. through books. Uh, online these days there's so much wonderful uh, material. Um, and then meet other musicians, play with them. You'll be inspired by other people who do it. Mm -hmm. And join the conversation. 
that is taking place in mm. the evolution of music throughout the ages. Mm. Thanks for that. Mm. I'll try to remember that. Mm. All right. Just make sure that it's, it's, um, it's playing music. Yeah, Play it. Have a good time. Have a good time. All right. So let me segue to another conversation, which is the start of this podcast. Um, you know, what it means to be a man in modern times. What it means to be a man in modern times. Mm. Can you qualify the question a little bit because it's so broad? It is very broad. So yeah. why don't we start by... Um, well, one, is that a worthy question to ask? Right, so going back to the very beginning of this podcast, you know, if you ask a question, you're going to get more interesting inquiries versus arriving to a finite answer. Mm-hmm. So um, what's your point of view around the whole idea of masculine and feminine? Well, there's definitely a, a beautiful balance that takes place um, between women and men. We are... Uh, uh, I really appreciate um, the uh, cognitive differences like we think differently we approach and synthesize information uh, differently in a way that is complementary I think that we uh, really complement one another and it's in the design we're designed to be incomplete that's why we're driven to bear up you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, that sense of uh, fulfillment that comes uh, in finding uh, relationships. Mm. Um, and that's not necessarily gender-specific. It's uh, more energetic. It's the yin and the yang, which can be found also in uh, different versions of genderism. No? Um, but yeah, there's this uh, lovely balance that takes place with the yin and the yang. And I think that within each of us, there is also a balance that is being uh, revealed. Uh, and although I'm more masculine than feminine, and I like that, there's still an aspect of my femininity that I've cultivated over time, um, especially in uh, in holistic thinking. Men are more linear thinking, mm. uh, which is very effective and um, allows us to make a certain uh, approach, certain tasks in a linear way. And in some cases, that's the more functional way. Uh, and then there's the holistic uh, more feminine, uh, which is uh, in some cases really also uh, functional and necessary. And I think that's that balance of those two that I really appreciate. So what it means to be a man, to me at this point, means uh, first really uh, acknowledging uh, the, that balance uh, from a place of mutual respect, um, mutual celebration, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the cultivation within myself and my fellow brothers and sisters also, uh, you know, all of our relatives here on this uh, pretty planet, uh, to uh, embody a healthy uh, balance of those two things within self, Mm -hmm. but not at the expense of what we are fundamentally uh, inclined towards. Uh, I'm, I'm inclined you towards... Can one sentence? What do you mean by that? I didn't understand. One more time? Well, meaning that I'm inclined towards being masculine. Mm. And just because I want to cultivate my femininity shouldn't be at the expense of my masculine. There okay. is definitely a conversation right now uh, that's taking place uh, which can uh, 
which is an important conversation, uh, clearly, uh, like all conversations. I think if uh, people are preoccupied with something, it's worth listening to and certainly worth uh, acknowledging uh, those uh, ideas that are being expressed, um, and yet not at the expense of other ideas. You know, we're, we should be adding to the conversation, not replacing an idea with another. Um, so if uh, we want to cultivate our inner feminine, it shouldn't be at the expense of our inner masculine, and vice versa for the feminine. Mm-hmm. So being a man today is also about uh, holding that space for self, being mm-hmm. okay, being masculine. So what would be, right, say someone who's listening to this, inspired by your point of view, let's say. So what would be something that concrete that he can take on as a way to cultivate the feminine while maintaining his sovereign masculine? Uh, repeat the question for me, sure. please. Yeah. So principally speaking, yeah. what you just said, yeah. beautifully said, wholeheartedly agree, mm-hmm. right? What would be a concrete tactic or a, like a question one can ask or a practice one can take on as a way to maintain that healthy, in my mind, healthy balance, a healthy alignment between the, femi- the inner masculine and the inner feminine? Mm. I think it all, always comes back to uh, an idea of, um, what's the word, pardon me, um, Mindfulness. <laughs> uh, goes back to this idea of mindfulness, uh, which is to take things into consideration, to be mindful to me, which is my definition of it and my version of it, mm-hmm. is to uh, consider things outside my immediate uh, experience. Mm-hmm. To be mindful of you, to be mindful of my partner, my neighbors, uh, the ecosystem, um, and also mindful of, my, of myself. So when it comes up as uh, this idea of the masculine versus the feminine, I think it's important to be mindful of how our actions or uh, our desires, uh, the way we walk into the world, has an impact upon others, and also be mindful about how they have an impact on us, Mm. and try to negotiate that with as much elegance and uh, mutual care, mindfulness as possible. Um, not from a place of self-abnegation, uh, nor from a place of imposing ourselves on others. It's that balance mm. where it's okay to be here, you are here, um, but not at the expense of someone else. And it's okay for them to be here, but not at the expense of you. Um, Say more about the word elegance, please. Because, uh, again, I totally agree. I want to uh, walk with more elegance as an example, right? So how do you then cultivate elegance? Well, I think elegance comes from a different set of factors, uh, but one of them is confidence. Mm. And we have a tendency to uh, equate uh, confidence with cockiness. Mm. And confidence is not cockiness. It's confidence can be uh, even simple. It doesn't need to be uh, flaunting. Um, In fact, sometimes when we see somebody who is extrovertedly looks confident, they're actually really awkward. Mm. (laughs) You know, they're actually inelegant. They can be uh, overbearing at times or kind of 
little bit dwarfish. No? Mm -hmm. So elegance is uh, this idea of, uh, to me, so again my version of it, sure. uh, really comes from uh, being confident, but not uh, necessarily cocky. That's one of the aspects. Being confident but not cocky. Um, and uh, and then elegance comes also from uh, I want to say f uh, family familiarity, mm. as in when we the more we do something, the more we're familiar with it, the more elegant we becomes uh, we become at it. Yeah? So me as a musician, the more I practice my scales, obviously the more elegant I can play as a musician. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, and then having enough of an open-mindedness to adapt, mm. um, and a willingness to uh, be flexible. Mm. I think elegance comes from a certain degree of inner flexibility, mm. the willingness to adapt to what comes our way. Mm. Um, so I'll give you an example, uh, when you were a kid, if you, you first learn to walk and you hobble, mm. um, and but the more you walk, the better at it you become, then mm. you can actually stand on your legs. But one of the things that makes uh, you elegant is eventually the ability to negotiate obstacles. Mm. As you walk, and as your parents allow you outside of this more protective space that they first keep you in, mm -hmm. like the little pen, little box where mm -hmm. you're safe there. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you walk outside and you start walking in nature, you will start encountering a step, uh, a puddle, a rock. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, elegance comes from the ability to adapt to the terrain mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. As a child does eventually learn to eventually run through fields of boulders and not fall. And yeah. Parkour. Parkour, right? Yeah. Parkour is really elegant, it's really, really cool. Uh, so, in a way, it's a willingness uh, to both have the skill to walk and a willingness to adapt that skill to mm. what comes your way mm. from a place of confidence, because you cannot do parkour if you're not confident. Right. You, you will yourself. hurt yourself, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, if you hesitate, you, you can't. Doubt yourself. And you also can't do it if you're cocky, because you will mm. also hurt yourself. Correct. So, it's that line of being confident enough to engage mm -hmm. life, but flexible enough to adapt to the obstacles that come your way, or the things that are unpredictable, the things mm -hmm. you cannot necessarily uh, control. Because if you try to control everything, then you become one of these control freaks, and right. that's uh, not necessarily uh, mm -hmm. desirable. Mm -hmm. That's a very elegant mm -hmm. way to put it. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's one of the ways to uh, hold that masculine space. Uh, it's again, it's more of a how to be uh, masculine, and you know, th that's my approach. I'm trying to uh, practice that, mm -hmm. um, trying to attempt at being elegant if I can, mm -hmm. and uh, and how I navigate the terrain of the masculine and the feminine. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I just, you know, in spending the last forty hours with you, you definitely demonstrated to me a lot of the elegance, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, case in point. You you got an unexpected request mm -hmm. of someone visiting your ranch, mm -hmm. and your response was elegant. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a thumbs up, and that was it. <laughs> versus the process of you, know, you have two other people, women, right, mm -hmm. here, deciding. And it's a beautiful solution. I don't know why you call it solution, reaction, choice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's beautiful. Uh, last question. Mm -hmm. 
how do you cultivate the relationship? Because time is limited, right? Our, our time and our energy is limited mm-hmm. on this planet, yeah, right? Yeah. So the way I look at um, what one is truly committed to is by based on how they um, allocate this limited resource we call time and energy. So how do you spend, uh, how do you choose who to uh, cultivate more relationship with? Well, first I'll invite you to considering that they're not limited, they're finite. Okay. Okay. What's the difference? Finite and limited. Well, a finite resource is uh, the fact that it's finite does not uh, mean it uh, has limitations. It just means it's more valuable, it's more precious. Okay. Right? There's a finite amount of diamonds or gold or whatever, sure. but they're not limited resources. So it's a, it's a, it's a distinction. It's, a, it's, a, it's playing with linguistics to... Uh, engage that experience uh, mm. from a more, maybe, a more ease. Thank you. Yeah. Fine. Uh, it's you. just an invitation. Yeah, uh, no, it's great. Suggestion. I love it. Um, so, yes, time is uh, valuable. It's finite. We only have so many hours in a day, so many uh, years ahead of us. And, uh, you know, what we choose to do, how we curate effectively. That's really what I'm down to. I'm down to curating Mm -hmm. uh, certain things. Um, A little bit uh, the way one uh, learns over time to uh, curate what one eats. When you're a kid, you just want to eat candy and and cookies. And even as a teenager, mostly you just want to screw around and it's fun to eat burgers and fries and whatever. Mm -hmm. And your metabolism can take a lot of abuse when you're young. And then as you get older, you start to realize, oh, you know, maybe I might eat a little less greasy fries and burgers, you know, I'll eat a little bit more salad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the intention is to curate uh, more lasting, uh, you know, more lasting health. Uh, And uh, you do that by choosing to eat more salad less french fries Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, more fish maybe a little less red meat or whatever works Mm -hmm. for you you find uh, over time um, your own inner your own diet literally eventually you get to an age where you're like no actually although i i like nibbling a little bit on this and that Mm -hmm. but i prefer eating this better for me to do this and i do the same thing with time over years i've just learned to curate my time and go I would rather spend my time doing this than that because it's better for me. I'll feel better tomorrow, I'll feel better next week. And over time, that will translate into a healthier person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and with no judgment towards anyone in particular, but I do the same thing with people. There are some people where sometimes it... Uh, and it's fun, I still eat a greasy burger once in a while. You know, it's like right. I, not like I never do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I like you know, a candy bar or whatever. But I'm just not going to make it part of my regular diet because... Mm-hmm. I think I am, uh, it's better if I eat more healthy, balanced. Mm. And the same thing with sometimes uh, activities or people where I've just learned to curate and uh, be more selective as to what I do just for mm, long-term sustainability. And we're back to functionality. Yeah. Um, mm. I can be more functional. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, any lasting words that you wanted to leave with listeners about if they can remember only one thing out of everything that you said so far? What would be the one thing that you wanted to remind them? 
Yeah, I have to ponder it a little bit. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, nobody's truth is uh, your truth. That only doesn't matter how many teachers you read, how many people you listen to, and how many interviews you listen to. And I've read, uh, I used to read a lot of biographies, and and they were great sources of inspiration and motivation. And in some cases, they definitely uh, inspired me to head, uh, to remain curious, and then they they began this inquiry, you know. Um, And, uh, but that fundamentally, only truth that really has any relevance is that which you discover yourself, for yourself, by yourself, and uh, that it's best to walk away from anybody else's idea in the long run, uh, and uh, consider them, add to the experience, but then synthesize them in your own way, and then uh, contribute to the conversation, because I think we're all in this mutual discovery. Mm. It's an inquiry. Remain in the question, listen to other people's questions, and uh, consider them, but don't necessarily uh, become the devotee of anybody else's idea, because mm. it'll still be someone else's idea. Beautifully said. You're, you're your own, so I think, forget, uh, it might be in Ram Dass or someone who said that to me. Fundamentally, you are your own guru. When you're done chasing after somebody else's guru, then you find out that the teacher is with you always. Mm. And it's teaching you through your own desires, your own successes, and what sometimes seems like your own failures. They're all your own teachers, and they'll get you one step closer to becoming yourself. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, Lastly, if someone is inspired to follow your music or uh, your screenplays or your uh, soon-to-be-published philosophical book, maybe, (laughs) uh, where can they go to find out more about you? Well, uh, so I just want to correct something. I wrote a couple of screenplays when I was very young. I don't write screenplays. Uh, it has been many decades since I've done that. I do write, uh, but not screenplays. Although I might do it again someday. But, yeah, you uh, never know. Knows, you never know. Right. But that's, uh, that was one of my early interests when okay. I was young. Uh, Got it. Uh, it's been a long time. Um, I have a website called Bergeau.com. Bergeau, B-E-R-G-E-A-U-D.com. Mm that uh, I periodically put updates and things that I'm uh, currently uh, mm. in the process of creating or sharing with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to thank you. I want to acknowledge you uh, for just sharing so generously who you are. You, I mean, I would assert your wisdom <laughs> thank you. um, to allow us to go to different places and... Um, and really as a key reminder to remember to enjoy uh, every step of the journey. Mm. Mm. Um, I will report back on my journey to learn music. So thank you for the inspiration. Of course. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for spending a lovely couple of days together. Yeah. It's really a pleasure to be in your company and get to know you and um, also get to learn from you because it's, uh, it's a joint conversation. You know, it's, uh, I like, I've really thoroughly enjoyed our conversations together and I discovered just as many things through these conversations. It's, uh, so thank you for that. Hence the reason we do the podcast. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys, have a beautiful rest of the day. Thanks. Take Cheers. care. All right, listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions about what we discussed, anything that needs to be answered, 
please go to noblewarrior.com forward slash group. We'll be happy to answer those questions there. Take care now.